But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. Good morning again. That was a short little uh, parable, actually. It's what it's called. It's called a parable. And uh, it's only found in, in one of the synoptic gospels. It's only found in Matthew. It's not found in Mark, Luke, and John. Anyway, when we think about a parable, we have to keep in mind something that Jesus said earlier about parables in uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse uh, 34, and then Psalms chapter 78, verse 2 is where he got the text. It says that Jesus taught them in parables and only in parables did he teach them. He said he was going to reveal things that were kept secret from the beginning of the world. So, when we look at a parable, be careful not to skim over it. Because these are truths that have been kept secret since the beginning of the world. It's not something that's just fresh off the mint. Something that's been there for a long time and has a, has a very special meaning for us. So this parable, basically, is talking about a man who has two boys and he's asking them to go, and actually not asking them, he's telling them to go work today in his vineyard. Now, very likely, as we see his application of the text, he's talking about how his own people reacted to him when he came and asked them to do something for him, or maybe before this time when his people, Israel, was asked to work on his behalf. And he had there were two reactions. One reaction was, one boy who said, I won't, then changed his mind. Basically, he repented. So he's saying, when John came to preach to them, to the Israelites, those who repented and decided to do what the Father asked them to do were the harlots and publicans. Those who said, I will, and didn't do it, just turned their back, would be the Jews, the people that Jesus actually came to. Now, in this parable, we very likely will see an application that you've seen throughout the Old Testament in relation to God approaching those who believe in Him to act in a way that He wants them to behave. For instance, 2 Peter chapter 2, at verse 4-10, through 10, if you'd like to look at that text with me, talks about four groups of this type of people. Maybe one individual. Anyway, in 2 Peter chapter 2 at verse 4, it says, If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So that's one category of people. The point we're making is God has given everyone a choice 
So the angels were given a choice and they decided not to do what God asked them to do. Then he said, He spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. That's the second class. Here are people that Noah preached to. They didn't pay any attention to him, so they turned away and they suffered the consequences for it. And the third group was the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said they, they, they were turned into ashes and condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example of those that afterwards should live ungodly and deliver just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vex, vex his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Then he said, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be uh, punished but chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not able to, not afraid to speak evil of dignity. So he's talking about groups of people, and of course he's including uh, the people here. And the other one, of course, will be uh, Jonah. Remember Jonah? He was told to go and preach to the city of Nineveh, which was quite a distance away. As a matter of fact, it was in excess of 500 miles if you can imagine traveling that time on foot to get over there so when Jonah was told to go and preach to Nineveh that God would destroy them in 40 days he decided to go the other way which he did he didn't go by land he got on the boat aboard a ship and started out west instead of going east which he should have gone he was going southwest instead of going northeast now God turned him around, sent him back. And it was not because he wanted to go back, but because God sent him back. But the point is, when he got there, he preached to Nineveh, and Nineveh repented. Okay. So Nineveh had not been doing what God wanted them to do. And maybe it just turned away from knowing what he wanted them to do. And then when Jonah came along, they repented. Well, the end of the story, of course, didn't work out well for Jonah, but it did work out well for Nineveh. Now, in the parable that we have before us, there is no threat made, open threat, to these boys. If you, if you read it with me, and it's a very simple statement, all the man said was, go today and work in my vineyard. Go work today in my vineyard. He didn't say or else. He didn't. He didn't. Bail, he didn't openly threaten them. Say if you don't go, here's what's going to happen to you. Nor was there a, a, a veiled threat behind it. But we know, when we think about this, that there would have been consequences if they had not gone. Correct. So when we're talking about what God wants us to do. He doesn't have to say, or else, if you don't do it, or else. But we do know there is an or else, don't we? If we don't do what he asks us to do, there is an or else involved in it. For instance, even in the Old Testament, there was an or else that was there, and it was very plainly stated. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, it's summarized, sort of. 
by the wise man, Solomon. He said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment. There's the or else. He'll bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it's good or whether it's evil. And in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, when Jesus was talking to His disciples, those who were listening to Him, and He was telling them about who they should fear, because they, they, they had enemies at that time, people that were trying to get them to do the wrong thing. And He said, Fear not them that kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So who should you fear? There is, there, there's nowhere else in, in, involved in that, isn't there? Then in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and 27, if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. But a certain fearful looking for judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will recompense, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Okay. We understand because we know what God has said. We've read the Bible. We understand His words. We understand His principles, His moral philosophy, His ethical philosophy. We, we understand all that. And we also understand from passages like this that there is and more else. There is if, if you don't do it, there are going to be consequences. Now, let's look at a text. Let's see if we can find it. There it is. In the parable, there are two requests and two responses, and it involves the vineyard. Now, the first son braised his father. Let's go back to that statement. The first son said, and the father said, go work today in my vineyard. Here we go. Okay. We got it. The first son said, I will not. Not going to do it. Uh, let's notice some things. A very simple statement by, by the man. Remember the parables? are rooted in eternity. So this has some meaning. It has meaning not only for these two boys, but it has meaning for us. Okay. What the man said was, go work today in my vineyard. Simple, right? He was very explicit. He didn't say, son, go get a job. He didn't, did he? He didn't say anything like that. He didn't say it's time for you to get your feet out from under my table and earn some money. He didn't say anything like that. What he said was, go work today in my vineyard. All right. It wasn't like any other type of industry. Let's keep this in mind. He chose this. He chose vineyard for a reason. It wasn't like any other kind of industry. It wasn't like the marine industry. He didn't say, go catch a fish. You could catch a fish anytime. You could go fishing anytime. He didn't say, go fishing, make some money. 
didn't say that. And it wasn't like the building trades. He didn't say, go get a job as a carpenter's helper. Go learn a trade, son. Start building something. Get a bridge going. Get a house going. Get a, get a, get a restaurant going. Get something going. He didn't, he didn't tell him to get into the building trades. He didn't say anything like that. He didn't, what I'm saying is God did not choose these other trades to tell us something about His kingdom. He didn't use that. He used the term vineyard. Go work today in my vineyard. It wasn't like he was asking him to learn another type of craft. He didn't say go learn how to make pottery. Go work with the potters. Go dig a trench to get some get something going this way with with the trade with the trade your artwork. Go make some jewelry. There was always a market and a demand for these sorts of things. Okay? And it wasn't like commerce and finance. He didn't say, go learn finance so that you'll be able to support yourself without having to get your hands dirty. He didn't say, go get you a white-collar job. He didn't use these. What he did was, he, he used the vineyard, and God used that. It's an agricultural symbol for us because it, it has a timetable that belongs only to God. It, it, it is an agricultural work. It did not wait for you to get around to it. Matter of fact, it was work that had to be done today. Had to be done today. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 and 2 gives us some idea of why he used this, this terminology. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 at verse 1 says, To everything there's a season, and to every time a purpose under the heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pick up that which is planted. It's cyclical. Nature is cyclical, isn't it? God's seasons are cyclical. You know, in the uh, end of the 18th century, what we know, what came about in our culture, what happened was, there was a fellow by the name of Thomas who developed an almanac. The farmer's almanac. Now that's, that wasn't new, but it was new to us in the English language on this continent. Almanacs have been around for a long time. You know what almanacs do? They, they gear everything to the solar system, and to the seasons. Ask a farmer, any farmer, and he will tell you that when you plant, you have to plant your crop, whatever it might be, by the season and by the solar system, by the moon. You, you, you use that. And so there was what well, we also know as poor Richard's Almanac. Remember Benjamin Franklin? He developed an almanac. This has to do with, with the cyclical nature of seasons and of planting and harvesting. So when this man told his son to go work, he meant today because it had to be done today. It couldn't be done tomorrow. It wasn't done yesterday. It couldn't be done next week or next month. It had to be done today. The more extreme instance illustration of this might be the milking of cows, dairy work. If you've ever been around dairies, you know that 
cows have to be milked twice a day. Without fail. Has to be done. The farmer has to give up, the dairyman, not the farmer, the dairyman has to get up early in the morning and get the cows in, feed them, milk them. Because the night before, he already made provisions for their feed, so when he brings them in the morning, they can feed, and while they're feeding, he can, he can milk them, or they can milk them. Then when the cows are gone, the barn has to be cleaned, the stalls have to be cleaned, they have to be turned out, and new feed placed in the stalls, and then later in the day, the cows have to be brought back in, and milked again, and the cycle goes on. But it has to be done now. It can't be, well, when you get a chest, son, go down and milk the cows. <laughs> no, the cows are milked. And so it's the same thing, though, with harvesting of agricultural products. And I believe that's why this was chosen. Vineyard work was intense. It was work. It was not supervisory uh, work. It was manual work. People had to get their hands dirty. Most of the time, vineyards were planted on hillsides and terraced so that they could be watered from above and the waters could come down and circulate among the ditches that had been dug and cleared out and cleaned out every day. Okay? They had to be watered. The rows had to be holed. Weeds had to be taken care of. Vines had to be thinned and pruned and leafed. Suckers had to be trimmed back, cut off. Trellises had to be erected and, and twine stretched between them so that the vines could grow on the twine and go from uh, vine to vine. Harmful rust had to be detected and the diseases removed. It was a job that had to be done today. Okay? Today. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Had to be done today. There was no hesitation. should have been any hesitation. His father needed him to do that job today. And he said, I will not. Now, he knew that he was going to damage himself and his father. That's what he knew. Now, what he also knew was that if that job was to be done, his father was going to have to go out and hire somebody else to do it. Understand? If you have a vineyard and it has to be done today, then chapter 20 of the book of Matthew, in the first few verses there, I think about the first 14 to 15 verses in Matthew chapter 20, talks about a man who had to get some work done in his vineyard, so he went out to the marketplace with people that were dwelling there and found some workers and hired them. Now, when this young man said, I will not, he realized, when he walked away from his father, he realized, if I don't do it, Dad's got to go find somebody else to do it because the job has to be done. Or he'll have to do it himself. Whatever that might have been. Whatever that job was, it needed to be done, and it needed to be done today. So that's what the that's what the boy knew. The other boy knew the same thing. The other boy said, I will not. The other boy said, I will. This boy said, I will not. Now, why did the second son 
not repent. That's what the first son did. And that's what the text was all about. The first son said, I will not. And then he got thinking about it. He thought, I can't do this to my father. I can't put him in that kind of a bind. I cannot, I cannot do that kind of damage to my father or to the vineyard. I can't do that. I've got to go do it. Which he did. The second boy said, I will. And then turned his back and didn't do it. Why? Well, obviously, he's talking about the children of Israel that heard John the Baptist preach and said, it's not me. And he, and he didn't. He said, I will. He, he made it look like he was going to. You know, there's some kids will do that with their parents. Some kids are pretty good at that with their parents. They make it look like they're going to do everything and they can do the same thing the teachers. Uh, anyway, this kid was that way apparently. He said, no, I, I'm not going to do it. He said that to himself. He tells his, tells his father, though, I'm going. Regardless of what happened with the father with the vineyard, he was he was, uh, he was going to put up a pretense and not do what he was supposed to be doing. Was it beneath his dignity to get his hands dirty? Did he feel entitled because he was the son of Abraham? Is that what it was? He was not a common laborer. He should have been able to oversee the work, not have to do the work. Did he assume that his father would take care of it and then later grant him leniency? Dad won't mind. He'll understand. Did he have that philosophy that a lot of people have today? It's either easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. Did he figure somebody else would do it for him? It'll get done. Somebody will do it. Somebody will see that it has to get done. Somebody will do it. Was procrastination in his character? You know I'm getting close, aren't I? Was procrastination in his character? Was he saying, I can put it off for later? James 4 verse 13 says, Go to now you that say, Today or tomorrow, we'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gay. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. But rather go to... What he said, what would rather say, if the Lord will, we'll live and do this or do that, but not put it off. That's what Felix said when Paul was preaching to him. Remember Acts 24 25? Paul reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And Felix said, Go your way when I have a convenient season, I'll call for you, which he never did. Procrastination. Now, the application. Let's get to the application. The application is God asked you specifically to work for Him. He's asked you to work. You know what He's asked of you. I don't. But you know what He's asked you to do. Okay. Some of the things, let's just, let's just mention some of the things. He's asked you to straighten your life up. That's for one thing. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 23 and 22 and 23, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Meekness, temperance, and goodness, such there is no law. Okay. So he's asked us, 
to love one another. He's asked us to be peaceful, to be joyful. He's asked us to be long-suffering with others. When people do things that, that kind of rub us wrong, greatest. He's asked us to be gentle, to be good to each other, to other people, and have faith, to be meek, to be temperate in what we do, temperance, against such there is no law. Now he has work for us to do. Just like this man said, go. Okay. So we know there's things that we need to be doing. Right? And he said, do it today. There's the next step in that. Do it today. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 7 says he limits a certain day. He's talking about heaven, of course, here and about the new, new world coming. But he says, just like he has everywhere else, he says, today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. He says, today, do it today. He says, go. Now, God has a work, a special work for each one of you. Got a special work. He's got something for you to do. And you probably know what it is. I don't necessarily. I don't know what it is. We sang a song, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. We sang songs talking about to the work, to the work. We usually think about that as going out and preaching the gospel. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. There's, there's your individual life that has to be put in order. And there are things that God wants you personally to do. And I don't know when He told you to do that or how He told you to do that. I know you know it because you've read the Word of God. The Spirit of God has entered your heart and entered your mind. And, and you know, when you see an opportunity, what you need to be doing, or you see a situation in what God has asked you to do. He has a work for you to do. It might be that He's asked you to change your habits. You've been cursing. He's asked you to quit that. Let no filthy communication proceed out of your mouth. You say, well, I'm trying, Lord. Try harder. He said, do it. And He said, do it today. Quit it today. Maybe that you lose your temper. Just like that. You know what he said? Quit it. You say, Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that, Lord. No, he said, What? What did he say? He said, Go today. Alright. He may have told you to make amends with somebody that you've had a falling out with. Somebody that you've had angry words with somebody that you've had got into controversy with something you've done not that they've done something you've done he's not asking you to correct other people's faults he's not asking you to do that he's not asking you to go out and, and tell people where they're wrong he's asking you to correct you're wrong okay he may be asking you that that may be what he wants you to do right now when today well, he said, oh, I, when I get a chance, I think I'll, I think I'll take care of that. No, God said, go today. And he said, work. It's not going to be easy, is it? It may be to repair something in your life that's gone wrong. That may be it. 
You know, there's a plethora of things that God wants us to do, and we wake up every morning, and when it when it dawns on us, that's when we need to do it. We need to do it. I'm going to start reading my Bible more. When? You know what God said? He said, we've got a season here, a cycle. Today is the day you start. Well, I, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna quit drinking. When? Well, I get in situations where it's tough for me to turn about. What did God say today? He said today. I'm gonna quit pornography, a, a fellow says. I'm gonna quit pornography. I'm gonna quit going on the going on the uh, internet and looking at pornography. When? You got it. When? Anybody know? <laughs> today. He didn't say later. He said today. It might very, very likely that tomorrow is going to be too late. Now, excuses don't work with God. Did you know that? <laughs> if you come up with an excuse not to do what all of a sudden you realize you need to be doing because you've been reading your Bible and the voice of God is speaking to you through His Word and through your understanding and maybe through what you've heard preached or studied or taught on the radio, wherever it be, you may know oh, all of a sudden this is my problem. I need to get it resolved. I need to take care of this. But it's, it's more than I can handle, Lord. You know what? Excuses don't work with God. Moses found that out, remember? God said, go down and talk to my people. Moses said, I stutter. I've got marbles in my mouth. I can't, I can't talk. God said, well, I'll send Aaron with you and he can talk for you. But Moses found out that he could talk. Matter of fact, he talked and talked and talked and said some things he shouldn't have said. But he was able to talk. So Moses, Moses found out that excuses don't work. The ten spies, five of them, six of them, seven of them, eight of them, eight of them came back from the promised land and said, we can't do it because the people are too big. And it's too much of a problem. Excuses didn't work. They went anyway. Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can do it. And they went and did it. Saul of Tarsus, remember, he he, he, he uh, persecuted Christians and he found out that excuses didn't work either on the road to Damascus God stopped him and said hey you cannot quit this but he was blind God blinded him then he gave him the sight back and said go do it now when Lord Saul got up right away and started preaching didn't he the five foolish virgins, remember there were ten of them? Uh, in Matthew chapter 25, there were ten virgins and they were waiting for the bridal party to come. Five of them decided they'd just burn all the oil they wanted to get some more when the time came. What happened? Time came and they were out of oil so they couldn't go into the bridal party. Well, Lord, I would do this, but you know, I just I don't feel like I've got the strength. I'm not strong enough. But you know what? God is strong enough. God is bigger than your problems. 
God is bigger than your excuses. God is more powerful than whatever reason you have not to do what you know you ought to be doing. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the lesson, I think, in this parable. Go, work, whatever it might be that God has asked you to do. You know, I, I don't know what it is, but you know. Today, in my vineyard, go work where I want you to be working. Go do what I want you to do. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.